Hey Sports Tech fans, Will Martin here, the curator of the Sports Tech newsletter that goes out every Friday. If you're new here, um, which everybody is to this podcast right now because this is our first ever one, but if you're new to the newsletter, you can find it at startupdigest.com forward slash sports tech to subscribe. For the month of July, uh, we've had our feedback month. So the community's grown to over 400 people right now. So we thought it was time to start asking the questions of how can we improve, what we, you don't like, uh, so we can get rid of it, and what things you'd like to see us add to the newsletter uh, moving forward. Uh, so one of the major bits of feedback that we got was that 75% of you want to hear a podcast on the topic of sports tech. So this is our first ever one, and we're going to publish it along with the newsletter this week in order to experiment a little bit, get one in the can, and hopefully to solicit more feedback from you guys. So the top story this week is probably comes as no surprise to you uh, if you've been a long-term reader of the newsletter, but it covers the streaming wars that have been raging uh, for the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, but it's Disney's announcement that they're going to launch a bundle to include Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+. Plus. Uh, so the package for all three is going to be priced at $12.99, which is a very competitive price uh, when you consider that it's the same price as Netflix and slightly more than Amazon Prime Video, uh, but you get a hell of a lot of uh, Disney classics, uh, also with Star Wars and uh, the Avengers and all those uh, great um, series that they have related to those, as well as obviously all the movies. Uh, you got Hulu, which kind of covers a lot of uh, TV shows and live TV, and obviously you got ESPN Plus, which is ESPN's uh, streaming service uh, which has exclusive rights to the likes of uh, the UFC and you've seen them add different leagues and different sports around the world uh, to kind of beef up their uh, live streaming offering um, so it's absolutely huge news if you're based in the US um, probably didn't make that big a wave in uh, Europe or Asia but I think it won't be long before uh, the service starts making waves um, all around the world because uh, it's such a huge uh, conglomerate now, I guess you could call it, uh, given the the stables that fall under the Disney brand right now. Um, so Bob Iger has kind of made this his uh, main kind of MO for the last uh, couple of years. Uh, so he's been able to put all the pieces of the puzzle together uh, to bring everything under uh, one umbrella and obviously into one place uh, to allow for pretty much any kind of streaming content you could possibly think of to all reside inside in Disney. So HBO um, also have a service coming out, so it's going to be significantly cheaper than them. So it's uh, amazing how they can put the economics together of all the Star Wars and all the, the movies that they have under the Disney umbrella, have purchased Hulu outright uh, from the networks, and also adding ESPN uh, Plus uh, with a, a ton of sports, um, like exclusive uh, UFC coverage, and a lot of different combat sports now falling into that uh, streaming service. Uh, but they also have uh, been very competitive in terms of bidding up uh, for different leagues and different sports around the world. Um, so Bob Iger's played an absolute blinder here. 
uh, in my opinion and they really seem to be taking uh, the lead in terms of the the streaming wars right now given the the sheer volume of content they have and also the diverse nature of it um, so the individual packages will still be available um, so Hulu's going to be $5.99 per month uh, ESPN is $4.99 um, and Disney Plus is going to be on its own for $6.99 or $69.99 annually um, so kind of doesn't make sense to buy any one of those individually um, so I think a lot a lot of people are going to be going for that uh, bundle deal um, so kind of seen the death of cable and TV subscriptions with the, the cord cutters and the cord nevers uh, so we kind of saw the death of bundling uh, which was a mainstay of the the cable and satellite TV era uh, but it seems that it's back and it's back with a bang in my opinion uh, so the the bundle will be launching uh, later on this year on the 12th of November um, so it was all on a conference call uh, with uh, Bob Iger um, so it kind of went a bit under the radar, it wasn't a big uh, pure push, um, but it was just on a conference call where he confirmed all the details. Um, so it's very, very interesting to see uh, how others respond, how Netflix responds, how Amazon Prime Video responds. Um, so it's going to be very interesting as the streaming wars heat up. Uh, in the article, they're also kind of talking about distribution, uh, so potentially kind of doing deals with uh, the likes of Apple, Google, and even Amazon uh, to get on to uh, their services like Apple TV and uh, Amazon Fire Stick, uh, everything like that, because obviously they want to scale this as quickly as possible. And the likes of uh, those hardware platforms and add in the likes of Roku, um, They've got huge distribution in terms of an install base and people who actually own the hardware that they're now consuming uh, their TV content on. Um, so this is going to be a huge uh, piece of the puzzle that they also need to figure out. Uh, but with the pricing that they've announced and the content available for that, uh, this is going to be a, a huge, huge win for, for Disney long term. So the second news story we're going to cover today is on the topic of gambling, which has also been a massive trend for 2019 and it's pretty much been on everyone's lips in the, the sporting world uh, since the US Supreme Court kind of rolled back uh, the restrictions on gambling in the US, uh, giving way to one of the hugest uh, untapped markets in the world in terms of gambling. Um, so this story is about uh, F1 partnering up with uh, Sports Radar to develop uh, pre and live in-race uh, betting games um, so for those of you who aren't fans of Formula 1 it's a very data driven um, sport um, it's got huge uh, fan base around the world very loyal fan base um, I've known a couple of F1 fans and when you're into F1 you're into every little detail about it um, so it's been a surprise that the betting aspect of uh, F1 hasn't been tapped before, um, given that huge fan base and the data that comes with it. Um, so this is pretty big news um, for Formula One and for sports betting in general. Um, and it'll be very interesting to see what they actually manage to deliver. Um, so as part of the deal, Sport Radar will have 
data that has never been released before by F1. Uh, so this will give them new data to build live odds models, um, to launch 30 unique markets uh, during qualifying and on race day. Uh, so this is set to launch at the first Grand Prix of uh, the 2020 season, uh, which is the Australian Grand Prix in Albert Park in Melbourne. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see what those 30 unique markets um, that they're claiming will be launched. Because uh, right now there's um, you know the current race odds, uh, the drivers markets, the constructors markets, group winners, drivers um, finishing in certain positions. There's race head-to-heads and obviously pole position for the qualifying um, that currently exists. So it'd be very interesting to see what these 30 unique markets are and how they're going to make use of that never been released before historical data uh, to come up with those new markets. Um, so quoting uh, David Lampett, Managing Director of Sports Partnerships at SportRadar, uh, so F1 remains an untapped market for bookmakers, despite it being one of the richest data-driven sports in the world. This partnership enables us to roll out enhanced data-driven products, which will provide additional betting opportunities both prior and during live races, creating the most comprehensive offering available anywhere. Uh, so it's kind of alluding to uh, making use of all that data that um, Formula One generates. Um, I saw at a conference before one of the um, executives of uh, Formula One and they kind of gave a quote and I can't remember the actual figure but it's absolute gigabytes of data that's being generated by each individual car, each individual second uh, that is on the racetrack either in practice, qualifying or actually during the race itself. Uh, so there's an absolute ton of data so I'm sure there's a lot of clever people at Sports Radar that are rubbing their hands with glee to get access to that data and to deliver a cool product. Um, so it's very interesting to see um, sports betting uh, being so adopted by all the major kind of sports leagues now around the world, uh, given that uh, the US opposition to it and the sports leagues there like the NFL and NBA uh, being so dead against it for so long. Uh, but now they're all seem to be opening up to this uh, big opportunity. Um, so to quote David Lampett again, so we're looking forward to continuing to work with F1 and ISG to create insights from their unique data sets in a way that will both excite the market and help build customer engagement and interest across the sport. Um, so again, not really talking about uh, just making a lot of money. They're talking about uh, engaging customers and also to attract new customers into and new fans into the sport. Um, so it's kind of interesting seeing um, F1 Kind of going through the new ownership uh, model and uh, that they've been bought by liberty uh, they're really trying to focus on uh, making their fan base more loyal but also to attract new customers um, new fans and they've had issues before uh, in the sport of f1 in terms of an aging um, fan base also doesn't really help that seems that f1 is quite very predictable um, in terms of who's actually going to finish on top of qualifying but also who's going to win each individual race and obviously who's ultimately going to win uh, the championship at the end of the season um, so if this can add a bit more excitement for fans uh, to get more uh, engaged and informed about the sport uh, then i think it's a really good thing for for f1 and it'll be interesting to see how they roll this out across the world uh, given that um, f1 host races in 
uh, a lot of different countries um, where gambling probably still isn't legal yet and probably never will be um, so it'll be interesting to see how they kind of manage that in terms of how they promote it when uh, they're trying to attract gamblers from around the world when the race is on in a country that is very against gambling um, so that is the top story this week in terms of the, the gambling uh, topic So the top esports story this week is Netties pledges $710 million to build Shanghai Esports Park. Uh, so the facility, which is planned for the Qingpu district, will include China's first Class A professional esports stadium, which will have room for 5,000 seats. So the Netties Sports Park, Esports Park will also house projects related to product design, team development and talent building. Um, so, speaking at the Global Esports Conference in Shanghai, Ding Ying Feng, the president of NetEase's gaming sector, confirmed that the construction on the first phase of the project had already gotten underway. Uh, so, the announcement comes after the Shanghai government issued a new set of standards for the construction and operation of esports ventures as it looks to capitalize on a market expected to be worth $3 billion in China alone by 2020. So the development is the latest project of its kind to be undertaken in China after an esports town was opened last year in the city of Hangzhou. Uh, so this particular venture aims to have 14 projects up and running by 2022. And this, these include an esports academy, a hotel and a hospital. So it goes without saying that esports again is one of the, the major trends uh, of the last 12 months and certainly since uh, I've been doing the sports tech news newsletter. Um, so it's great to see uh, this level of investment. Um, obviously there's a $3 billion opportunity in China alone by 2020. Um, so it's great to see um, the development of these um, dedicated campuses, if you will, uh, but truly dedicated to uh, esports. Uh, obviously last week um, we saw the Fortnite World Cup uh, in New York, which was in a stadium, not purpose-built for uh, esports. It was still a, a great event uh, that had millions of people tuning in around the world. Uh, so it'd be really fascinating to see uh, other cities in different countries uh, taking up a similar uh, approach and getting in at the early stage to develop these truly world-class professional esports stadiums because uh, in every city in the world pretty much we can see uh, soccer stadiums and um, different stadiums of the, the sporting nature uh, but it'd be really interesting to see um, how the investment will happen in, in different countries particularly uh, in Europe um, for me at least because uh, they seem to be a little bit behind uh, in terms of dedicated uh, esports facilities certainly in terms of uh, new construction projects because uh, we've seen a number in the, the US uh, recently in Florida and California uh, and in New York um, so this is another great thing for esports and it's really going to deliver uh, world-class facilities and take esports to to the next level obviously it's become a lot more mainstream in the last kind of 12 months or so uh, but i think there's a long way to go in terms of the esports popularity and things like this only only help it and obviously with 
Um, the other projects related to this uh, being the eSports Academy, team development and t talent building. Uh, there's a lot more that can come out from a cluster like this that will bring a lot of people interested in the in the eSports world in terms of product designers, uh, talent, trainers, coaches, education. Um, so be really really interesting to see what comes out of it because i think there's a lot of learning still to to go in esports as the the market kind of matures and we can see what um other businesses can kind of sprout up as a result of esports competitions Uh, continuing with esports, Bumble matches with Genji for first all-female Fortnite team. So, global competitive gaming organization Genji has launched the first all-female esports team as part of a new three-year partnership with the location-based dating app Bumble. To celebrate the partnership, Bumble has added a gaming badge that users of the app will be able to add to their Bumble BFF profiles in order to find other gamers to connect with. The move, which marks Bumble's first in esports, comes after last month's field of 100 finalists of the Fortnite World Cup not featuring a single female gamer, despite the fact that the title's publisher Epic Games estimates that women make up 35% of Fortnite's 250 million players. So it's really interesting to see the world of esports uh, partnering with the world of online dating. Uh, obviously it could be a match made in heaven, uh, pardon the pun. Um, but it's interesting to, to see the, the female angle as well. Obviously, uh, Bumble, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, was founded by one of the early members of the Tinder team. Um, she left the company um, in order to set up a dating app, which she wanted to kind of flip the script um, to give women kind of more control over um, who they kind of talk to online and um, to you know make it more even kind of playing field. Um, because on Bumble, it's the woman who initiates the, the first message and uh, not the man. Um, so it's interesting to see that they're targeting the esports world. Obviously, um, the, the problem of 100 finalists in the Fortnite World Cup not featuring a single female uh, is not good for the esports world um, because I think uh, diversity in terms of uh, players is always an important um, facet of any kind of sport to, to kind of draw people in and to um, get people engaged uh, in in the sport of, of choice. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the, the partnership goes over the, the three-year period and how the, the team ultimately do as well in uh, upcoming uh, Fortnite tournaments and next year's Fortnite World Cup. Um, but it's interesting to see the, the marrying of um, esports and online dating. Um, so it's obviously esports is a very online world but also with esports competitions it's a real world um event um which obviously bumble has a similar kind of pattern in that it's online dating but it's all also marrying the the real world connections between uh people that have a similar interest or um are attracted to each other so adding the gaming badge obviously kind of adds a bit more context um to the to this whole partnership um, so it'll be interesting to see how this develops over the three-year period 
Our hardware story of the week comes from uh, SoulCycle. Um, so Equinox announces streaming fitness platform Equip. On Wednesday, Equinox Groups announced its entry into the on-demand fitness streaming world. The new digital venture puts Equinox in direct competition with Peloton, which also boasts both treadmill and stationary bikes, along with a broad range of fitness content. Over the last few years, Equinox members increasingly demanded more ways to interact with their brand on our own schedule. Our members like to be in a physical space. They love to be in our clubs, said Jason Leroux, CEO of Equinox Media. So the platform will integrate live and recorded original video and audio content from Equinox brands spanning 300 physical location locations and 6,000 instructors. They've not yet finalized the price of the equipment or the streaming services. As for recreating the sense of community, Equinox will add a few features to facilitate user connections, but it did not offer any specifics. Over the last year, Equinox has aggressively expanded and diversified its portfolio. Equinox possesses, possesses an advantage in terms of expertise and scale. As LaRose notes, SoulCycle boasts 13 years of brand building and Equinox just shy of 30. So those of you who don't know, um, SoulCycle, um, it's an absolutely huge craze. I kind of first heard about it when I was living in San Francisco. Basically, cycling classes that cost like $80 for an hour. Um, but it, the, the fandom uh, around it is absolutely huge. Uh, I had some friends that were just avid SoulCycle fans and uh, obviously got a lot of uh, benefits from it from a fitness perspective, but also it seemed to, you know, not going to say it was almost like a cult, but it seemed to be that um, people will let you know if they're doing Soul Cycle. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how they managed to keep that um, community kind of feel together once they're going from uh, classes uh, with people there in in the flesh uh, participating in the classes uh, to doing it online. Um, Obviously, Peloton have been uh, kind of doing that as from the off, given that it is a exercise at home uh, kind of platform. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can go the other way in terms of taking a physical class and allow people to, to participate in the, in the fitness classes that way. Um, so it wasn't the only story from Equinox and SoulCycle this week. Uh, so there was a bit of controversy that kind of blew up uh, on Thursday. Uh, The SoulCycle and Equinox controversy that I mentioned in the previous story involves a Donald Trump fundraiser. Um, so the chairman of the Equinox and SoulCycle um, company is Stephen Ross. Um, so he's the real estate mogul and private investor who owns the Miami Dolphins, uh, one of the lead investors in the Drone Racing League, uh, is involved in the International Champions Cup, uh, the global competition at this stage that involves um, high-profile teams from Europe, major soccer leagues, uh, playing friendlies all around the world, so a lot in uh, the US, China, Australia, Singapore, and in Europe. Um, so he's highly, heavily involved in the, the sports world, um, but he is doing a fundraiser for uh, Donald Trump, um, with tickets costing uh, about 100000 
for lunch and a photo opportunity with the president and 250,000 for a package that includes a roundtable discussion uh, with Donald Trump. Uh, so obviously there's been a lot of people who've uh, taken offense to this. Um, a lot of SoulCycle and Equinox uh, members very, very annoyed. Um, so Equinox owns 97% of SoulCycle and Equinox is um, kind of a boutique fitness brand that has uh, very expensive uh, gym memberships um, all across the, the US and recently into the UK. And it obviously attracts uh, people with a lot of money. So a lot of uh, celebrities uh, are members. Um, so one of them and a lot of others were active on social media today uh, calling for a boycott. So one of those was Chrissy Teigen. Um, so she um, posted up a video saying that people should uh, boycott and cancel their subscriptions. And she even posted a screenshot of the email uh, that she sent and received from Equinox. Um, so the email that she got back from them said that they're experiencing a high level of volume of email. So it looks like it's, she's not the only one who's trying to cancel her subscription. Uh, so it's not great news for them on the back of their, what I would find exciting news of their, their live streaming uh, service. Um, so they didn't really um, cover themselves in glory with their apologies. Uh, they kind of downplayed um, Stephen Ross's involvement in the companies, saying that he was a kind of a silent investor, um, kind of forgetting or leaving out the fact that he's actually the chairman of the, the company. Um, so it's not going well. Um, Ross also kind of clarified his involvement, saying that he didn't agree everything that Trump did or said. Um, so a lot of people online are, are kind of seeing seeing this as uh, Stephen Ross um, liking the tax cuts but not necessarily agreeing with everything else. Um, so whether the fundraiser goes on or ends up um, falling by the wayside uh, remains to be seen, but it's um, it's not good news um, and it's kind of disappointing that you know politics can invade every kind of part of society at the moment uh, obviously Trump is a very div divisive figure um, but I don't think companies need to have the same political views of you as you to be a member of them um, but obviously it's a huge controversy at the moment so I, I'd imagine that's going to be a lot more uh, coming down the road in terms of follow-up to this story um, so it's um, not all good news for, for Equinox and, and SoulCycle um, on the back of, you know, as I said, would have been uh, a nice announcement for them in terms of their their uh, online streaming and on-demand uh, service that they've announced this week. Our top partnership story this week comes from LA. Um, so it's uh, from the LA Rams and the LA Chargers. Uh, they're building a new $5.2 billion stadium and entertainment district in Los Angeles. Uh, so they've announced one of their uh, premier uh, partners for that. So it's going to be a $90 million deal by American Airlines. So it's going to take exclusive naming rights to the entertainment district's 2.5 acre plaza. 
Um, so it's going to be a huge undertaking. Obviously, it's a 5.2 billion stadium and entertainment district. Um, so it's going to be a, a huge, um, huge thing for, for LA moving forward. Um, it's kind of like London buses, you know, they didn't have a team for almost 30 years. And then along comes two, and now this uh, huge stadium uh, project that's going to be undertaken in the coming years. Um, so the agreement does not include naming rights to the NFL stadium itself. It was reported in May that private lender Social Finance was closing in on a 20-year deal with an annual 20 million to put its name on the facility. Um, so American Airlines will be listed as a founding partner of the 72,000 Arena in Inglewood, which is built being built by Rams owner as Stanley Cronkay. So he's also uh, the owner of Arsenal Football Club. Um, so it's kind of courted a lot of controversy from Arsenal fans over the past couple of years in terms of his um, unwillingness to open his pockets uh, to spend on the team. But I think this year, Kainy might have slightly changed their tune because they've had a good uh, summer transfer window. Uh, but I digress. Uh, so for decades, Los Angeles has been one of Americans' most important markets and has played a major role in connecting Southern California to the rest of the world, said American Airlines President Robert Isom. It is our mission to give our customers world-class experience they deserve, and we are committed to doing so both at the airport and within the community. So as well as an NFL stadium and the American Airlines Plaza, the new entertainment district will feature office, retail, and residential spaces, and more than 20 acres of parkland. The stadium, which is the centerpiece of the development, is expected to open in 2020 and has already been chosen to host the 2022 Super Bowl. Commenting on the deal with American Airlines, Jason Gannon, the managing director of the new facility, added, As we continue Mr. Cronkay's vision to build the premier destination for sports and entertainment at Hollywood Park, we are proud to partner with an industry-leading businessman business such as American Airlines. We are both making investments in Los Angeles and will provide fans and customers an elevated experience as they travel, live, work and play. So it's a it's a big deal. Um, obviously, uh, $19 million is a sizable, um, sizable partnership to be announcing. Um, so it's not the stadium uh, name. Um, so that's a very, very big deal um, to have $90 million over the 10 years for exclusive naming rights just to the, the plaza. Um, so it's not actually the, the the stadium; it's kind of the area around the stadium. Um, so I think, obviously, sports sponsorship in um, America's particularly is is huge. Um, so I think this is probably going to be the first of, of many partnerships that this new stadium is going to to garner. Obviously, there's two new teams after moving to LA in the last uh, couple of years. Um, so I think um, it's a huge boost to the LA sports sports scene um, and obviously having a stadium like this is going to be absolutely huge um, so I'd love to see who else is going to be involved in terms of partners because um, the 5.2 billion outlay is absolutely massive um, for a stadium but obviously it's it's more than just a stadium it's going to be office retail and a whole entertainment um, kind of district as they're as they're calling it
So if you've got this far, thank you very much uh, for listening to the first ever Sports Tech uh, Podcast. Uh, if you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me, uh, you can email me at will.martin at startupdigestmail.com. That's will.martin at startupdigestmail.com. Um, so this will be included in the newsletter uh, that's going out on uh, Friday, uh, the 9th of August. Um, so I think we'll be doing this kind of on a weekly basis. Uh, not sure if we'll be going out with the newsletter uh, in the future or if we'll uh, release it at different times um, during the week, um, maybe over the weekend or maybe on a Monday. Um, but it'd be very interesting to hear your thoughts and feedback on it. Um, so we've just taken the top story from the main uh, kind of topics uh, that were in the news this week. Um, so I think that might be what we go forward with um, for the first few anyway. Uh, but if you have any thoughts or ideas, comments, feedbacks, insults, uh, whatever, um, please get in touch and help share and make this the, the best sports tech community out there. Thanks for listening and I'll see you uh, tomorrow with the newsletter and I'll see you next week. So our long read suggestion uh, this week comes from Andrew Collins, who's the founder and chief executive of Shanghai-based social media and technology group Mailman. Um, So if you haven't heard of them before, they put out a red card report every year. Uh, which details how soccer teams from around the world are performing in China uh, on different social media channels uh, and in particular to social media channels channels that are uh, solely used and operated inside in China like uh, Weibo uh, and the various different channels there so uh, his piece is on how sports teams should be commercializing their digital inventory. Uh, So this is a really fascinating topic for me. Uh, Obviously, we've uh, all grown up with um, physical physical goods like uh, sticker books and merchandise. Um, So now, obviously, we've kind of moved into the digital world and how these clubs should approach it. Uh, It's probably very different to how they've approached um, their physical uh, inventory in the past um, so it's not the longest piece uh, but it's very very interesting and talks about um, the, the bigger kind of um, challenges with uh, digital inventory and how you attract sponsors for that um, so there's a quote in the piece that I, I really like so digital does deliver sales having a well-connected highly engaged global fan base is fast becoming central to global brands who are investing in sponsorship and marketing. Your community is considered a key asset. That relationship is considered sacred. It is desired by brands who cannot get the same affinity with their customers. Your owned channels should be a major part of your storytelling and a major part of the sponsorship proposition. The strength of your community across social and other digital platforms will give confidence to brands wishing for the love and trust from that audience. Um, so I think that kind of sums up in a nutshell of the importance of um, a sports club's um, asset, primary digital asset, which is um, that relationship that they have with the fans on those um, digital channels. So obviously there's been a lot of talk about you know growing your 
followers on Twitter, followers on Weibo if you're in China, you know, your subscribers on YouTube, subscribers on Twitch if you're in esports, um, your number of likes on your, your Facebook channel. Uh, but I think the bit there about your own communities is something that is uh, very, very important to me. And, you know, it's considered a key asset um, by Andrew Collins here um, because when a club owns the platform from start to finish, so that'd be their website, their app, um, they have full control over that relationship. You know, you don't have to boost a post to, to reach all your fans. You know, you can hit up your mailing list and it will go to all of your fans uh, in an instant. Um, so being able to monetize that is important for clubs, but it's also not to cannibalize uh, that relationship that they have with the fan. Um, so it's a great piece, um, something that I'm going to read uh, multiple times, um, come back to it again and again, because I think it's really, really important for, for sports clubs to really have a well thought out, well executed uh, plan for their digital inventory, because um, obviously we've seen the, the trends around um, you know, smartphone adoption and uh, the engagement numbers there on, on different platforms, different social media channels. And how best to, you know, offer that to um, your sponsors that are coming on board. Um, should you only give it to your top subscribers who are paying top dollar? Should you allow smaller brands in there um, that won't pay you as much money but might have uh, a closer affinity to your fans that they're trying to reach? Um, so we've seen um, Liverpool and Barcelona partner with Roblox. Um, which is for me a great partnership in terms of targeting that younger demographic of sports fan. Um, so those of you who don't know uh, Roblox, it's a um, gaming kind of platform um, where the users can kind of create their own games inside the platform. Um, so Liverpool and Barcelona now have their own branded content um, inside in those uh, games. Um, so it'll allow uh, kids to you know insert Lionel Messi or Mo Salah into the game that they've kind of created inside the Roblox um, platform. So it's essentially like digital Lego, if you will, or similar lines to, to kind of Minecraft, where you can you know kind of create your own world and your own uh, physics and graphics inside there. So uh, for me, that's a great um, digital partnership. Uh, making use of the images of the player, the logos, uh, the stadiums, uh, everything associated with those sports clubs and giving it to their fans or potential new fans uh, to be able to do what they what they want with it. Um, so in the piece as well, Andrew Collins kind of walks through a couple of uh, other examples, uh, primarily from um, the Asian kind of markets. Um, so it's a very, very interesting piece and it should definitely be read by anybody who's involved um, with sports clubs and sponsorship world, um, anyone who's got a digital inventory that they're looking to sell to sponsors or to you know, engage a, a new audience. Um, so that's our long read suggestion. Uh, it's from Andrew Collins from Mailman uh, from China.